now it's time for us to turn to the word of the Lord. And today's scripture is going to be one that's very familiar to you. Um, You can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. But first, let's say a prayer. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're back in Genesis, chapter 22, verses 1 to 13. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering, and set out, and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and, and Abraham, and we, then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father? And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for I know now that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I recently realized that I remember a whole lot of things that I never really intended to remember. And I play most place most of the blame at the feet of the advertising world because they have just filled my brain with all kinds of catchy slogans and sayings and jingles. For example, tell me the name of this cereal. Snap, crackle, pop. Rice Krispies. Yes, every time I hear the word snap, my brain goes crackle, pop, Rice Krispies. Thank heavens I like that cereal. I really have a problem. But you know, something like that is true in my faith life, too. I guarantee you, I never took up a hymnal, you know, a book of hymns, and looked through it and said, huh, this one looks pretty good. I think I'll memorize this one. And yet, somehow, I know the words to so many different songs, as do you. For example, join me in the words of this hymn when you can. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like I once was, but now I'm, was blind, but now I 
Let's stop there. Amazing Grace. Such a powerful hymn. You know, I bet that one has to be on just about everybody's list of favorites. Remember that for next time, Jim. Okay. And it's true in Scripture, too. You know, I bet we could spend a good amount of time this morning just trading our favorite Bible passages and Bible stories back and forth, and we'd have a good time doing it, too. Instead, join me in the words of this psalm when you can. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Let's stop there. So beautiful, so meaningful, no matter which translation you know. And hey, hey, for extra credit, tell me the number of that psalm. That was psalm number 23. Pastor Laura would be proud of you. 23. Yeah, that's right, 23. Remember that for later. But you know, I don't always remember scripture because it's so encouraging and comforting, because it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. No. Sometimes I remember scripture because I don't understand it. It confuses me, frightens me, causes me to doubt. And I recently learned that two of those times, one in the Old Testament and one in the New, well, they shared a connection. And when I understood that connection, I understood them all so much better. And I want to share that connection with you this morning. So let's start off with the Old Testament. And that's a Bible passage that we just read. It's one of the stories of Abraham. Now Abraham, Abraham was one of the head honchos of the Old Testament. God chose Abraham to begin the covenant. Abraham was going to worship and obey the one true God and him alone. And in return, God was going to lead Abraham to the promised land, a land of milk and honey, where Abraham's descendants would become as, no, as numerous as the stars in the sky, the grains of sand on a beach. And so we begin to follow Abraham through the book of Genesis, chapter after chapter after chapter, year after year after year, until Abraham, he gets to be a really old man. And you know what? He still doesn't own a single acre of the promised land. And his wife, Sarah, whew, she's old too, way past the age of having children. And you know what? Abraham still hasn't had a single child by her, not one. And that's right when God sends Abraham another message, promising him a son. And sure enough, within a year, little Isaac is born. You know, sometimes I wonder if God didn't wait until Sarah got so old so there would be no doubt in anyone's mind that that little baby boy's birth was a miracle and God was alive and acting in their lives. Oh, well. Little Isaac begins to grow up. And then we come to today's Bible passage in which God has a very different kind of message for Abraham. God says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to oh, uh, take Isaac up onto the mountain and sacrifice him to me. In other words, Abraham, I want you to kill your only son. And I'm like, 
okay, stop the music, stop the ride, I want to get off. Because do I want to believe in a God that would command you to hurt a child? That's horrible. That's terrible. That's beyond disturbing. And yet, from the very beginning, God knew that little Isaac was not going to be harmed and that this was a test for Abraham. Oh, not a test to see what Abraham is going to do. God already knows what Abraham is going to do. God knows everything. No, 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 no. This was a test for Abraham, for Abraham's sake. Because you see, God knows how we are. He knows that once our lives get running smooth, or even if we just get real busy, it's so easy for us just to let our faith life kind of drop down our ladder of priorities. And it takes those times of testing, those times when we have to make a conscious choice on who we believe in and what we believe in that gives us the chance to turn back to God. And those times can be opportunities for significant spiritual growth, too. And as I look back over my life, I saw that was true for me many times. Hey, it was true for Abraham. It was true for me. It's true for you, too. So a test for Abraham to teach him and us about trusting God and obeying him in all things, well, I can believe that. I can accept that. I recently learned, though, that there's a whole other side to this story. And it's based on the fact that God is always revealing himself in Scripture. Do you remember how we all felt the first time we heard God's command to hurt Isaac? We're all like, that's horrible. That's terrible. That's really disturbing. Well, the whole time we're reacting like that, God is going, yes, yes, you remember that. Because years from now, there's going to be another baby boy who's going to be born by a miracle. Only this time, God says, it's going to be my son, Jesus. And God says, and I'm going to have to stand by and watch while my son is sacrificed on a cross for you. God wants us to understand that for every moment that his son is on that cross, God the Father's own heart is breaking, just breaking. And this is meant to comfort us because it teaches us that no matter how high our highs or how low our lows, God understands. He gets it, not just here, but here. God wants us to trust him and turn to him with everything. Just turn to him. And now, of course, we've touched upon that time in the New Testament when Jesus is hanging on the cross and my Lord says some words that had always haunted me. And maybe they bother you too. Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now forsake, that's an ugly word. Forsake doesn't just mean forget. Forsake means to turn your back on, to deliberately abandon. And I'm like, wait a minute. Do I want to believe in a God who turns his back on you? 
who, when the going gets tough, he deliberately abandons you? And wasn't my Lord suffering enough? Did he have to feel this way too? Bible scholars explain it this way. They say, our best definition of sin is separation from God. So if Jesus, who is perfect and without sin, was going to take all our sins upon himself, there would have to be that time when he experiences that separation. And this is it. Now, I don't pretend to understand how God can get ripped apart from God. But it doesn't sound pretty. So maybe that does explain these words. I can accept that. I don't fully understand it, but I can believe that. I recently learned, though, there's a whole other side to this story. And again, it's based on the fact that God is always revealing himself in Scripture. Do you remember that little game that we played at the beginning? When I could say something and you could tell me what came next? Well, that was true in Jesus' day, too. Let's face it, there weren't thousands of Bibles laying around in everybody's coffee table and bookshelves. People worked hard to memorize the scriptures. And if you wanted to refer to something in scripture, you only needed to say the very first few verses, and just about everybody would know where you were at. In fact, there were a lot of people who could tell you exactly what came next. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting scripture. He's quoting the opening verses to Psalm 22. Now, I can't tell you how many times I have rushed past Psalm 22 to get to Psalm 23, and yet it is Psalm 22 that is so essential to our faith. You see, Jesus doesn't say very many words from the cross. It cost him a lot of pain and agony just to breathe. But if you read your Bibles carefully, when Jesus says these words, he doesn't just say them, he shouts them. That's how important Psalm 22 was to Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but if it was that important to Jesus, then I think it needs to be that important to us too. So today, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to take a quick look at Psalm 22. And I encourage you to open your Bibles or the phone Bibles, or maybe you'll follow along on the screen. We're going to look at Psalm 22. It's a little bit on the longer side, so we're not going to read the whole thing. But let me tell you, there are some verses in here that you really just need to hear. Let's start at the very beginning with a very familiar. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Get ready, because you're about to hear exactly how it felt for Jesus to be on that cross. Let's skip down to verse 6. But I am a worm and not human, scorned by others and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me, they make mouths at me. They shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. 
Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Let's go down to 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and feet have shriveled. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves. And for my clothing they cast lots. This psalm was written more than a thousand years before Jesus was ever born of Mary. I encourage you this week to take the time to read the short accounts of the crucifixion in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then reread Psalm 22. It will give you the chills. This psalm is meant to comfort us because it teaches us that Jesus' death on the cross was not a mistake. It was not something that went wrong. It was not something that didn't have to happen. No. Jesus' death was foretold and in great detail because Jesus' death completes the old covenant. From this day forward, there's not going to be any more need for all those blood sacrifices in the great temple because Jesus' blood pays the sin price for all. Jesus himself tells us that in his blood there is a new covenant and it's a promise of forgiveness of sins and eternal life for all who believe in him. And it's a promise that is offered to all people for all time. Oh, Jesus knew. He knew what his death was going to look like to his enemies and even to most of his followers. But Jesus' death is not a defeat. It is a victory. And if you still can't hear the victory in Jesus' shout, well, we're not done with Psalm 22 yet. Let's go ahead and skip down towards the end where we find them talking about eternal life around verse uh, 29. To him, that is to the Lord, to him indeed shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. This is Jesus' victory cry. And posterity, future generations, a people yet unborn. My friends, when Jesus was on that cross, he was looking down through space and time to us. That's right. Jesus had you on his heart and mind while he was on the cross. And oh, how that should comfort us. But it's a challenge too. Because until our Lord comes back again, it is our responsibility to spread the word about his victory. Oh, not only to people who don't know about Jesus, but we have a special responsibility to the youth and the children of this church family to ensure that the faith gets passed on to them the same way somebody passed it on to you. 
God is always revealing himself in scripture. Sometimes he does it so we get to know him better and learn that we can turn to him with everything because he'll understand, he gets it. Not just here, but here. We just need to turn to him. And then sometimes God reveals himself so we get to better understand his plan of salvation and our place in it. Finally, in Psalm 22, we have the awesome opportunity to know exactly what was on Jesus' heart and mind while he was on the cross. Jesus is hoping you will know Psalm 22 and that you'll commit to some of the verses, verses like, and I shall live for him. Oh, Jesus wants you to spread the word about his victory because, after all, he has done it. Amen? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.